welcome to another book on the shelf podcast i'm jet i'm jen we're on episode 115 yeah. <laughs> uh and it's a book club book it feels like it's been forever right since our last book club book honestly wait what was our last book club book it was oh the ballad of black john right yes oh my right. god that wow. even <laughs> that was wild. a long time ago <laughs> only two months but feels like eight years yeah uh so this is the first book club book of 2023 mm. uh and it was a me pick uh and i picked or wait for anyone who is new we do a bi-monthly book club we alternate picking uh Although I feel like now that we're like five years deep. What? Five? Oh my God. Well, like four and a half, I guess. Yeah. We are in season five at the very least. Folks. I feel like we've sort of come together a bit more on our picks or like (laughs) what we're reading. But definitely when we started, I feel like we both were reading very different things. Yeah. Uh, I just realized this means I have to come up with a new book club pick. Yeah. Like right now. Yeah. (laughs) Well, <laughs> no pressure. Um, but this way, you know, it got us into, like, reading different things. And then even now, I think it's still getting us to, like, I don't know, I feel like I'm more purposeful with my picks of trying to, like, okay, mm-hmm. what is something that we haven't done? What is something that we normally wouldn't have read? So, yeah, um, yay for the book club uh, yeah. that we started and then never talked about the books. So then we started the podcast. We did. <laughs> Our official tagline. Let's read books and never talk about them. And then start a podcast where we get too excited and still can't talk about them. (laughs) (laughs) But for my pick, I have picked Joan Didion's Slouching Towards Bethlehem. Yes. Uh, At some point (laughs) prior to me picking this, so there's an essay in the book called something on a notebook, keeping a notebook. Yeah, keeping a notebook. On keeping a notebook. That's what it's called. Yeah. So somewhere in... December, I learned of that title of the essay, and now I'm realizing that I probably should have paid more attention to where, and so I could have been like, oh, I was reading this, or blah, blah. (laughs) But at this point, we're just going to call it magic. (laughs) Something from the ether uh, gave me this, and we always talk about notebooks and journaling and uh, the artist's way and all those things, and just being those people who can like journal and notebook and diary, whatever. (laughs) So I saw that, and I was like, oh, cool. That definitely sounds like something <laughs> we should talk about. And it's Joan Didion, which we have not ever done on the podcast. The Joan Didion, yes, Joan Didion. I know. Um, so that's why I picked this. Nice. Um, Love it. Yeah, so many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you give us a little rundown on All right. Joan little, Didion? A little, little bit about Joan. Um, she was an American writer, in case you didn't know. Um, I mean, you may not. That's, that's true, fair. yeah. Um, although I do feel like if you are in the world of, um, essays and journalism in any significant way and nonfiction, uh, in any significant way, you basically cannot not heard of Joan Didion. Um, (laughs) 
Anyway, so along with Tom Wolfe, Hunter S. Thompson, and Gay Talese, she's considered one of the pioneers of new journalism. So her career began in the 1950s after she won an essay contest sponsored by Vogue magazine. Her writing during the 1960s through the 1970s engaged audiences in the realities of the counterculture of the 1960s, um, the Hollywood lifestyle, and California culture and history, which is a lot of what um, she's writing about in Sludging Towards Bethlehem. Mm Um, her political writing in the 80s and 90s often concentrated on the subtext of political and social rhetoric. And in 1991, uh, she wrote the earliest mainstream media article to suggest that the Central Park Five had been wrongfully convicted. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Interesting, right? Very. Yeah. In 2005, she won the National Book Award for Nonfiction and was a finalist for both the National Book Critics Circle Award and the Pulitzer Prize for the Year of Magical Thinking which is uh, probably her best-known, like, memoir. Yeah. Like, non-fiction, like, full non-fiction piece. How am, I, how am I trying to say this? Like, it is a memoir, but she has a couple, like, longer, like, yeah. full story memoirs. Per- person, personal. My God. Non-fi- personal, creative, yeah, non-fiction, whatever it's, it's like called. Like, not a collection. Yeah. <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, <laughs> it's a memoir of the year following the sudden death of her husband, uh, John Gregory Dunn. I have an it was, audiobook, but I haven't listened yet. It's excellent. It is excellent. It's so good. Um, she later adapted the book into a play, which premiered on Broadway in 2007. In 2013, she was awarded the National Humanities Medal by President Barack Obama. And then, um, most recently, there was a documentary about her on Netflix called The Center Will Not Hold, which was directed by her nephew, Griffin Dunn, in oh. 2017. I know him. Oh, do you? Yeah, because he's in, like, the film and movie world, TV world. Right, so. right. Um, the Center Will Not Hold, incidentally, is pulled more or less from the first line of Sludging Towards Bethlehem, which is The Center Was Not Holding. You know. Um anyway, she's like prolific and you basically can't take a journalism or essay writing course without reading something by Joan Didion. Like Well that's that's exactly the first time I came across her was in Remember when I was taking all those writing classes and I had the one that was it was like literally like creative nonfiction or something like that. And we had one of our essays, and I, or it might have been an excerpt from the Year of Magical Thinking. I wanted to try and find okay. it for this, but like I'm pretty sure I have it like stuffed in a thing somewhere. Right. And then I knew that was going to turn into like some area being completely exploded, so I just didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that had been the only thing that I'd actually ever read by her. So the Year of Magical Thinking is so good. Yeah. Like, in an emo way, though? I mean, it's very sad. Yeah. She had a weirdly sad life. Well, and because, like, her her daughter had died just before, just after. Just no, after. just after. Her daughter right. was in a coma, though. Yeah. When her when husband died. Right, that's what yeah. it was. Um, ugh, yeah. Yes, and her daughter died shortly after, which she also writes about in a book called Blue Nights. seems like reading books like this where I'm always like oh yeah like and because I really like the creative nonfiction class and like mm-hmm. little, like essays things and this and that but then sometimes I'm always just like nothing I mean exciting is the wrong word 
but no- nothing that feels of import of some kind. To be fair, nothing in this collection is written okay. before her husband dies. Well, but also just like so much of it is literally about nothing. Right. <laughs> and that's why then like reading this, I was like, wait, hmm. <laughs> I feel like I feel like at, at the same time I'm feeling both things. Reading this makes me be like, oh man, I have nothing good to write about. But then I'm like, wait, this was about nothing. <laughs> Yeah, no, she can literally just yeah. write things. Yeah, wild. Uh, but yeah, so this uh, is a collection from 1968. Well, everything's kind of... Was any of them after that? No, I guess not. Uh, no, I don't think so, but some of them were definitely pulled from, like, other they things. were published in other yeah. outlets first. Yeah. Um, it's mainly about her experiences in California during the 60s. Uh, the title of this, since everything is pulling from something, uh, is from a W.B. Yeats poem. Uh, and a lot of it is also reprinted in another one of her collected nonfictions, mm. uh, which is We Tell Ourselves Stories in Order to Live. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh, that's her entire collected nonfiction. I think so, yeah. Oh, okay. I really wanted it, but now I feel like I don't need it if I have this and the White Album and a couple of her other nonfiction books. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, if there was, like, a pretty copy or something, you know? Yeah, or if there's, like, extra content. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, but there was one little quote thing that I found from uh, Nathan Heller in The New Yorker. Uh, the book came about this way. In the spring of 1967, Joan Didion was engaged to write a regular column for the Saturday Evening Post. At some point, an editor suggested that she had the makings of a collection, so she stacked her columns with the past articles she liked, a report from Hawaii, uh, some, the best of some self-help columns she turned out during a while when she was a junior editor at Vogue, set them in an uncanny order, no wait, in a canny order. (laughs) That's one of those words where I'm like, wait, you can go the other way? Right. (laughs) In a canny order with a three paragraph introduction and set them off. This was slouching towards Bethlehem. It's like, hmm. That was my main thing for, like, reading this whole thing, is that Mm -hmm. I would have loved to have, like, to know, like, where all of these came from. Like, where were they originally published and or why? (laughs) Here we go. Right at the acknowledgments at the beginning. Um, It does tell you a little bit. It doesn't say why, though. But, like, so Where the Kissing Never Stops appeared first in the New York Times magazine under the title Just Folks at a School for Nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Um, on Keeping a Notebook and Notes from a Native Daughter appeared first in Holiday. Um, there were a couple in The American Scholar. And the On Self Respect and uh, Guillermo Sonora appeared first in Vogue. Um, Los Angeles Notebook includes a section which was published as the Santa Ana in the Saturday Evening Post. I love that part of the essay. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the other essays originally appeared in the Saturday Evening Post and a few of them under different titles. But I did read that, but then completely forgot that I read that by the time I got to the end. I think mostly just more the the context of things, of like what. Yes. And I mean, that's what's interesting now, I think, about reading, or what's interesting about reading Joan Didion now is so much of it is so deeply of the time. 
Well, in, in a way, too, where, like, cause I had to keep reminding myself that this stuff was written in the 60s. Yes, because some of it's still wildly relevant. Wildly relevant. And then there's a few things where, like, she starts talking about something, and I'm like, what? And then I'm like, oh, wait. Because, you know, like, this hasn't happened yet. Or, like, you know, the essay um, on Hawaii, which a lot of it is about, like, the attack on Pearl Harbor. I'm like, oh, I guess in the 60s, that's probably a lot more relevant than it is now. Can we talk about how she wrote that essay in, I think it was 1966, is the year at the end of that essay? Yeah. Um, and let me double check just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 1966, which would have been 25 years out yeah. from Pearl Harbor. And then as I was thinking about that, I realized that we are 22 years out from 9-11. And that that's basically the same. Yep. And I was like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, to me, that always seems so far away. And it was so interesting to read that essay and have it exist in the cultural mind's eye as such a very recent event. Mm-hmm. Well, even just, you know, specifically with that example of September 11th, like, it's all, and because, like, I feel like the world just moves so much faster now, Mm -hmm. like in all ways, because even that, like I was talking to someone who I think is like 23 and like they're in Europe. So like, obviously that's different, but like, even for that, like 9-11 was such a blip. Well, they were a baby. And like, and and I was just like, oh yeah, because it's already been like that long. Like, yeah. So, and the way that, the way that like. Because and she says something in, um, in that essay in particular, where she's talking to somebody else, and they say that oh, for yeah. their generation, um, was it the assassination of JFK yeah. that he was talking about was more significant to their generation than Pearl Harbor, and she says we're not of the same generation. Yeah. No. Which is so interesting, and that's fair because when was she born? Nineteen thirty-four. So like she would have been a child when. Um, but like probably happen, but enough to know that something yes happened. exactly yeah like sort of in the way that i remember princess diana dying mm, yeah you know like a child but enough to know that something substantial and significant happened and i think did her father end up going to fight in the war i don't remember if that's mentioned at all but um like it would have impacted her yeah so yeah. I don't know, it was just very interesting. Well, especially because, like, the essay starts off with, like, basically someone, like, they, like, forced her to go to Hawaii, like, to, like, yeah. take a break or a vacation or something. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting, right? Like, her talking about, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, hating pineapples or something. But then it, like, hard turns. And I was like, oh, wait, we're going somewhere else. Yes. <laughs> um, it was a very interesting way to think about Hawaii because oh yeah again like I've been to Hawaii a couple of times and and because Hawaii is in part of the political conversation a little bit more these days with native Hawaiians asking people not to go to Hawaii as tourists yeah because it's detrimental to the islands mm-hmm. um it's just like Hawaii has such a bizarre history and but to me like it's so 
always been so divorced from like obviously i know pearl harbor happened this is okay this is exactly like in my head like i know that it's the same place but it's it's separate somehow like as if pearl harbor was its own island or something or like because when i envision it on a map like i know like i see it there but like it's it's separate for somehow except like it's not it's on no it's on the big island is it not like like and it's just yeah like it's this weird thing where like it somehow is separate but it's not and then like you forget like i forget and i never thought of hawaii as being so shaped by the war yeah. but like of course it would have been mm-hmm. well because she talks to you a lot about how like there's like the what what did you call it like the big five and it seemed to be the people who were sort of controlling the industry and infrastructure and commerce and stuff of the island and then at some point sears as in like the giant department store Robux. he like bought some land and was like trying to get them to like allow him to like have a store there to the point where he was like i'll buy my own ship like if i have because like obviously like mm-hmm. getting stuff to hawaii is a huge issue to which it's yeah still, like yeah and he was like fine like yeah. i'll just get my own ship then and so then, of course i guess they kind of and i'm like yeah like it's just such a weird yeah so then back then like that still would have been again 20 years post-war but like it probably still really affected all that stuff and like mm-hmm. It's just crazy to and think it's about. And funny, like my—I know my grandmother. They stopped when they were sailing to New Zealand, um, to go live there. They stopped in Hawaii on the way. Like that was their sort of, I guess, halfway point. Yeah. Um, and that would have been in the fifties, yeah. which really wouldn't have been that far out. Yeah. And now I'm like, now I want to ask her about like what was what was that like, knowing mm-hmm. that part of that island had been horrifically bombed. Like, yeah. I don't know, man. It was a very interesting essay, mostly because, like I said, I never think of Hawaii and war in the same context, despite knowing full well that Pearl Harbor happened. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and then there was a lot of talk about race, too, like in the schools mm. and how, like, there didn't used to be Asian people. Or then there was a thing about voting, too, that, you know, people were saying that the Japanese government were telling Japanese immigrants to, like, not vote in America, like this whole, you know, conspiracy, whatever thing. And just all of that stuff, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's probably was, like, a huge, I mean, probably still is, but mm-hmm. it's more of an American thing versus a Hawaiian thing. Um, but, yeah, like, it was just all the, I think it was really just that, like, I went into this being like, oh, we're going to be talking about Hawaii. <laughs> I know, right? Same. That's like, oh, I could hear it. John Didion thinks about Hawaii. And then you're like, oh, this is absolutely not where I was expecting this to go. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I really liked that one. Yeah, me too. Alright, um, okay, let's kind of just, like, skim through here, because I kind of read them all. Um, I mean, obviously I read them all. I meant I took notes on them all. Oh, that's good. I <laughs> that's what I, every time we have an essay collection, I, like, start a note in my phone, and then I, like, I put the title, so that, I mean, sometimes nice. I have notes, sometimes I don't, right? Like, you just... Because the ones at the beginning are not so fresh in my mind. <laughs> and again, so, like, I was, as I always do, because, I don't know, I like to live on the wild side. I went into this blind. I didn't look at. <laughs> I didn't look up anything. I didn't know what we were reading, um, but I really liked. Uh, one of my favorite quotes was in the preface, uh, and she says, "But I, but since I am neither a camera eye, nor much given to writing pieces which do not interest me, whatever I do write reflects, sometimes gratuitously, how I feel." And I was like, "Ooh, intrigue," mm-hmm. and then. The first essay, which is Some Dreamers of the Golden Dream, is just like 
a modern day crime podcast? Yeah. <laughs> this is what I find so interesting about Joan Didion, and you can see it across this entire collection, is that she really was just writing about whatever caught her interest. Because, yeah, because this was, like, this murder mystery where, like, the wife was having an affair and, like, I feel like she did kill the husband but, like, lit him on mm-hmm. fire in a car when he was drugged asleep. Yeah. But it starts off with, like, obviously just more the accident side of it. But then you find out that, like, she was having an affair and I feel like she maybe killed her... What's the opposite of mistress? Miss... Uh... Oh, um... Ooh. Lover? <laughs> The guy that she was having an affair with, I feel like she may have killed his wife. Um, that was kind of thrown in at the end that, like, clearly never solved. But then you're like, wait. Mm-hmm. No one actually knows what happened. And she was the only one in the house with her. <laughs> um, you know, some sort of, like, hairspray allergy. And I'm like, oh, that's sus. <laughs> Super sus. But yeah, so I was, I was like, and I was reading this on the plane, flying to New York. And I was just like, what is going on here? <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting because I guess that first section is kind of a little bit more journalistic. Yeah. So the first one is Lifestyles in the Golden Land. So I feel like it's all kind of like these are those like California stories, right? Because there's Mm -hmm. the murder mystery. Uh, The next one is called John Wayne, a love song. And again, I don't really know what that was about, but you're just kind of talking about John Wayne and like some people Mm -hmm. that he worked with and stuff. And I was like, okay. Right? (laughs) Well, it mostly just, I thought it was hilarious. So I was, again, I was on the plane. I was listening to Lady Gaga's album, Joanne, which okay. has a song called John Wayne, where she sings about John Wayne. Okay. And like, straight up, no joke. As I flipped to that first page of the essay yeah. called John Wayne, a love song, John Wayne by La- <laughs> Lady Gaga that's, started that's, on that's, my... <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> and I just had this like moment by myself on the plane being like, what <laughs> love it but then again and that's that was a note i what i was like i wonder what this was like for like what was she not necessarily like where it was published but like why right so. and i do have i do sometimes feel like you used to have a little more not leeway but like freedom maybe in what you were writing about well and I, I think probably because now in kind of one of those good things bad things anyone can write anywhere mm-hmm. like if you you know pick your favorite celebrity and just like google them there's gonna be like a thousand articles by like deep down obscure sketch bag places and it's just like you know they pulled one quote from somewhere and then like wrote a t- total article like People can just write. It's so much more accessible. Whereas, like, in the '60s, it wouldn't have been. So, like, mm-hmm. this story about John Wayne—that again, doesn't really have necessarily a. Yeah, I don't know where that one even was published originally. Um, it like, it just kind of maybe it was special or exciting or something, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I really like the next one too, um, where the kissing never stops. Yeah. About Joan Baez, where you're just like. Which, again, like, that's where I had to keep reminding myself of, like, when this was written. Yeah. Because I feel like my perception of Don't Bias is obviously very different 
So all of this is like, I was like Googling stuff. I was like, wait, what's happening? Like, <laughs> because like, yeah, again, like obviously like I didn't grow up during that time. So like my frame of reference for her is different. Right. Exactly. So that one was really cool. Cause she had like a sort of counterculture school. Yeah. Something <laughs> like, you know, like not university, but like post grade school or something. And like all about like the Vietnam protests and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was real, that, I thought that one was really interesting. It was really interesting. Well, especially because it starts with like the neighbors of the school being mad that like the mm-hmm. school is there. Yeah. I mean, well, like they're not actually doing anything like. Right. And the, it was just like, you know, the me neighbor lady being mad that they could like see the school's existence through their windows or something. <laughs> You're just like, oh, that also felt very like California. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, and then there was the essay about like the communist guy. And I was just like, again, I don't know. Right. Like, well, and again, at that time period. Yeah. Right? Like, again, you forget that that was such a... I, like, I kept forgetting, but at the same time, as you said at the start, like, it's still, all of these still somehow felt relevant. Oh, yeah. Well, in a way, you know, like, even John Wayne, like, okay, maybe not kids these days, but, like, we know John Wayne. We have Mm -hmm. enough of a reference of John Wayne that at no point during that essay was I like, who are these people? Like, what's going on? Like... Yeah, I still got it. I was like, okay, we're talking about John Wayne. He's making westerns with some, a few other people that like whose names I kind of recognized or whatever, and different movies that they were filming. And I was like, okay, I know what's happening. And same with this, you know, like we know enough about like communists and like how they would have different their little like publications and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, yeah. But again, what? Why? I don't understand. <laughs> Which I think honestly was like my favorite part the whole time that I was just like, what are these about? What are these for? Where are we going next? I don't... <laughs> well, yeah, because then the next one, because again, this is literally an order. So we went from like oh, yeah. murder mystery to John Wayne to Joan Baez having like a school and protesting Vietnam to somebody about a communist guy to then the Howard Hughes place, mm-hmm. which I have, I have an article. I'll link it. I'll send it to you. We can put it in the oh, show okay. notes. Yes. Because, like, it still exists, right? Like, you can... It's still a place, and it's beautiful. Really? <laughs> it's, like, just the most, like, gorgeous, like, I don't know, art deco or whatever. And, like, um, like his headquarters, um, the, like, the writer of this one, like, she, like, went and, like, took pictures. And then all these, like, weird little, like, rules that they used to have. And, like, it's, like, the secretaries couldn't do you think like there were it was just howard hughes was like a weird dude yeah for as sure. the article the essay yes the dude essay states just like so many weird things yeah um, so i like that too because then i was kind of like looking up and googling stuff so that was one of my favorite ones yeah that was a really good one and again because it was just kind of like weirdly out of place <laughs> And then the next one was also about some other sort of weird, the center, like, yes, place. The that... center, center for the Study of Democratic Institutions. Which, like, sounds so weird. Mm. It sounds like one of those, like, cult, like, right now I'd be like, oh, that's a cult. Right? I mean, it's California, <laughs> so. And the, it's titled California Dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Well, and then there's one just on about, like, getting married in Vegas. Yes. <laughs> Which I loved because, like, it was... Also still relevant. Yes. Like, it's still... That's still a thing. Like, probably even, like, more so now. And it was just, like, how... Because it was going about, like, how easy it was. But then, what was it like? There was some sort of, like... Obviously, because, like, you know, age restrictions for marriage and this and that mm-hmm. and stuff have changed. But I can't remember exactly what it was. But it was just about, like, if the girl was, like, a certain age, like, she had to sign something. Or, and, like, just kind of, like, basically, you know, like, the logistics of it. And I was just like, this is so random and crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what Joan Didion is very good at is observing and calling it like she sees it. Yeah. Like, she's like, here's what's happening. Yeah. And, I mean, she's very strategic, I think, in the way that she writes it mm-hmm. like it positions like different things together but you're just like damn <laughs> well, not holding anything back well and also it, it is in that sort of like like journalistic mm-hmm. no buy it like she like it's none of these you know again like there's she was talking to the communist guy and then the thing about like the vietnam protest like she was never like, I couldn't tell necessarily what side she was picking, if she was picking sides. Right, yeah. Which I think is the entire point of journalism. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, now it's, like, you know, Fox News versus CNN and, like, you know, the right versus the left. And, like, there's not just, like, that middle ground of, like, this is what's happening. You decide how you want to interpret it or, like, what you believe. Mm-hmm. Now it's very much, like, you have to believe it this way. Um, so that's why I, I really liked a lot of these ones, because, like, again, she wasn't... Even, you know, the one with the murder mystery, like, I don't think it necessarily leaned any direction. Yeah. Like, that Joan necessarily leaned any direction as to whether she actually thought the wife did it or not, or if she killed one and not the other. But, like, I felt, like, myself coming away with, like, my opinions. Mm-hmm. Which I suppose is the entire point. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, and, like, slouching towards Bethlehem is really interesting in that way too yeah so that's um, it's the longest that's, one it's, it's like 45 long, pages substantially long yes yeah. um and it's about basically the like hippie counterculture movement yeah in san francisco yeah it's fascinating and again because it's this felt very like if you were if you had a notebook because you were working on a story like it was like mm-hmm. little bits there were a few people that kind of like you know were woven through like she would go back to the different people but it was just these little bits of you know different people that she had met and you know oh this one they were these were dropping acid and these were doing this like there was no judgment on like either direction mm-hmm. and it was really just yeah like following these different people and like some of them were clearly just living and happy and doing their thing and others were like you know part of the resistance and like clearly like trying to fight and like you know make things happen and stuff and it was yeah it was really interesting yeah yeah that's a fascinating essay I've read it more than once um and I feel like every time I read it there's like more in it (laughs) you know yeah, and it's, it's definitely one of those things where, like, now I'm like, oh, right, obviously I've been sleeping on Jodian. Joan Didion. We know this. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, there would be ones that, yeah, like, I would want to read again. Or, like, I feel like it would just be really good reference, like, if you were writing something 
you as in like the you know royal you generally uh, <laughs> um like just to that kind of to like go back to and just be like even the way we always talk about like realizing the different ways that you can write because mm-hmm. like some of these are clearly like beginning middle end essay story told complete and then others are just even like searching towards bethlehem it's all these little snippets it is that yeah. kind of go together but once you've only once you read the first three you're like what's happening yeah um but then you know again as you kind of like keep reading them it kind of throws back and you're like okay and you kind of get it and then I think that's why it helps to read that one twice because it is so mm-hmm. fragmented. Yeah. Did but you... then does come together that like reading it that second time it has a more cohesive feel. Yeah. Did you reread it this time? Yes. Okay. Um, just because I know the last time we had talked like you had already read a bunch of them and then I wasn't sure. If you were yeah. So I had actually or... made it through the entire first part yeah. like at the end of Slushing Towards Bethlehem and then I was like you know what I need to yeah. Like I need to reread that one um, before diving into all of the like more personal mm-hmm. essays. Yeah. So. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, the first half was really interesting, again, because mm-hmm. it was all over the place. But in a way that really worked for my brain. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And just too, like, that constant reminding myself that this was like, in the 60s and just like yeah it was wild yeah um and then the i was gonna say the second like the second half but i mean the second third but then i got my halves and thirds confused in my brain so i had to stop for a second in the middle section (laughs) uh which is the personals so all of these are on something which is brings us to on keeping a notebook. <laughs> uh, and that's why I picked this one. Again, how or where it came from, no idea. <laughs> like, just to the point where, like, now I'm just, like, mad. I'm like, where the heck that's did it so come funny. from? I just have absolutely no idea. Um, yeah. But I, I really liked, because uh, she was talking about how, like, she was never able to keep a diary, but, like, all the little, like, sort of, like, notebooks and stuff that she has she realized that like the way she was doing it is that it wasn't necessarily factual. Cause like in a di- like I agree, mm. like I think in a diary, like that seems to be like a, this is what happened, like factual. And then she got like kind of worried that she was always remembering things wrong, but it was yeah. actually just about how it felt to her. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's it. <laughs> it's a very interesting essay. And how like, <laughs> Yeah, like she says, she says here at one point, um, our notebooks give us away for however dutifully we record what we see around us. The common denominator of all we see is always transparently, shamelessly, the implacable I. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and just like that thing of like it being, you know, how you see things or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, wait. That does make, that makes me feel like I could do this. I mean, how many times have we literally done yeah. episodes on this? Well, and I love even that she says, like, that she hates keeping, like, a diary of, like, this is what happened today. And anytime she's tried it, she's immediately gotten bored and stopped. Yeah. Um, and so she just ends up writing, like, 
things that catch your interest instead. And I was like, why don't I do that? Like that, that could be the way to do it. Like, well, cause that's what I realized is so like, <laughs> let's, let's get an actual number here. So on my notes app on my phone, let's see here altogether. I have 392 notes and a lot of those, at least 89 of them are what I have finally managed to sort out and filter put into a folder as ideas. <laughs> um, but like, I really, cause like, you know, it's 2023. I always have my phone with me. Right. So like, right. and I, as soon as I like start scrolling, that's what it is. Is I'm doing that is I like write down, see, there's a book called the getaway by somebody Thompson. I don't know what that was about. Or then like a little like <laughs> note or a quote or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, that's what I've, I've been semi journaling and or keeping a notebook this entire time. Yeah. But because it's out of the ordinary, um, cause even this weekend then I was talking with a friend and like, she was talking about, oh, like she wasn't really sure like how she, like, she doesn't have like a right, you know, like quote unquote, like regular one, but she sort of did more of like a burn it bullet journal version. Mm-hmm. But like, as we always talk, you know, like the, it's that whole, like, I assume that it has to look pretty. <laughs> Cause that's what, you know, um, right. and like, I always stress like on my iPad, I have good notes and I have like, that's where I have all my like story things. And again, cause it's, it's always like messy and my, like my handwriting scribbly scraggly, but like, that's, it's still doing the thing. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure Joan Didion's notebook was a mess. Right. Like, is that yeah. something we could find a picture of? Like, well, and it's funny too. Cause even like the very, very beginning of that essay, um, she like has an excerpt of a note from the notebook and says, since the notebook, the note is in my notebook, it presumably has some meaning to me. <laughs> I study it for a long while because she can't remember what it was about. This. Just, what is this? This. <laughs> How many times did we come home with fucking receipt paper yep. with something like scribbled on it? And then now no, we're like, what does this mm-hmm. mean? I don't know. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I'm, like even just like trying to like scroll through them now, I'm like sometimes it's like you know like books that I want to remember or like places that I want to go to. But like this one, all it says is through the glass doors. What does that mean? Don't know. I don't know. Oh yeah, here's a quote. Does it even have the author? Oh, it does. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> like oh god, that's even worse. Oh, but like, yeah, or like notes on quantum entanglement because I was trying to figure out what quantum entanglement was you know as you do yep <laughs> or like a random name or like it's just yeah I don't know it, it was this weird thing of where like it made me again realize that I kind of am doing that not right. in that way that like the expected way where like oh I want it to be like that because you know like uh, David Sedaris has released his like diaries mm-hmm. the think the second one's out but it's in hardcover which i haven't got yet but the first one because he literally kept like a diary slash journal forever right like decades and decades and decades and decades like the first one is you know it's almost three inches thick and that only went up to like i don't know maybe like 2000 or no Mm. i can't even remember how the dates were broken down and when i was reading that i mean it's also like david sedaris so like okay i was just like oh my god this is amazing like i wish that i just like you know, had like a 30 year pile of journals and notebooks and stuff. But also like that just would never have happened. <laughs> right. 
oh, it's a stupid artist way. Like, oh man, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I am trying. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know, like terrible at committing to a thing. I know. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Well, that's, that my, so my favorite quote from that essay on keeping a notebook is, what kind of magpie keeps this notebook? <laughs> and I was just like, okay, yeah, this is, this is the one. <laughs> but yeah, so moral of that essay was, it was the reason that I picked this book and I'm glad and it really kind of Mm -hmm. did give me everything that I wanted in that way of like, okay, I'm going to try and like take more notes on my iPad, do my thing, try and make whatever. And like, there's never going to be just like an actual notebook thing, but there's going to be, there's something. Yeah. And then if I ever do the artist way, like that'll be something. So like, Mm -hmm. I'm doing things my way. As you should. (laughs) That's how it should be. Uh, On the next... (laughs) The next essay on self-respect, I had no notes, which I don't really know what that says about me then, <laughs> for having no notes on an I essay mean, about that self-respect. One was... I think I would have to read it again, but I, there were certain parts of it where I was like, damn. I know. I'm trying to, I wonder, I need to look here to see if I have any washi tape notes on it. Nope, nope, that's all. <laughs> oh, I'm just got stuck on another page from the other stuff um yeah like I had I just had like no notes but I feel like it's important and I don't know if it was just one of those like some of it was hitting close to home you know because certain things happened in my life and like it was like wait does that mean that I don't have self-respect or that I didn't have self-respect or like whatever so I just kind of maybe yeah if it's it's um yeah yeah well, there's something too, like about you know the self-respect is something that our grandparents, whether they had it or not, knew all about. It was something that was instilled with them, like a certain kind of discipline. And I was like, oh, that does make sense, right? Like I feel like that's <laughs> such a different. It's meant different things in different generations. Yes. Um, whereas, like, I don't know if I know what it would mean now. Yeah, I don't know. It was, yeah, it, it was interesting because, again, it seemed very relevant to, like, still today. Mm-hmm. To have the sense of one's intrinsic worth, which constitutes self-respect, is potentially to have everything. The ability to discriminate, to love, and to remain indifferent. What? To lack it is to be locked within oneself, paradoxically incapable of either love or indifference. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that one was just too deep. <laughs> yeah. But. but I think it also just, like, really shows, like, she just... Because, again, like, like, this must have been kind of one of those, like, Saturday evening post things or something, right? Like, mm-hmm. so just, was she just, like, given, like, a word every... <laughs> Like a word I mean, maybe, because, like, because, like, because that's the go. one on morality, not to skip the one in between it, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, like, she was asked to write about that. Yeah. The American scholar. Um, but, yeah, no, there's a part in, in on self-respect, and she says, we flatter ourselves by thinking this compulsion to please others an attractive trait, a gist for imaginative empathy evidence of our willingness to give. And I was like, <laughs> 
like, okay, Joan. <laughs> turn, turn that down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so then the one in between was I Can't Get That Monster Out of My Mind, which was kind of like about Hollywood yes. being this entity, this thing, this... Obviously, that yes, it's a business, but it's this, like... Especially, you know, I feel like then... Well, still. But, like, of just... I mean, it, it was the monster. Um, I mean, it like was... The studios truly, and stuff. I was going to say, the studio... The studio system. Because yeah. um, was it just sort of ending when she's writing this? I what feel like, the, yeah. I never really remember, like, the exact... like Or, like, when... The, like... Um, that sort of like era. She definitely meant the studios. Well, yeah, because like, so yes, it's often used to reference the Hollywood motion picture studios during the golden age, which was the 20s to the 60s. So yeah, it would have like just been like mm. coming to an end. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, she's talking about the studios. Um, What is she saying here? (laughs) (laughs) What is surprising is that the monster still haunts Hollywood itself, and Hollywood knows better, knows that the monster was laid to rest, dead of natural causes, some years ago. The Fox back lot is now a complex of office buildings called Century City. Paramount makes not 40 movies a year, but Bonanza... What was once the studio is now a releasing operation, and even the Garden of Allah is no more. So, like, yeah. it's sort of the tail end of, of the studio setup of Hollywood. But it was so interesting to read because it's almost like, like, Hollywood is different now, but it also yeah. not. No. It's... It's just a different monster. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, it's, it's not the studio system the way where, like, people were tied to certain studios and you had to do whatever in certain it's because now like it's slightly more individual but like the way that it works the way that it you know sucks people into different things and whatever and yeah oh hollywood oh hollywood yeah well and yeah like yeah like i said the Hayes code was also still in effect so that is also a fascinating thing but yeah, because like TV had kind of taken on, was much more prevalent, like starting mm-hmm. mid fifties, then like by the time it got to the sixties, and that was affecting it, and then but yeah, because when did the Hayes Code actually end? That was nineteen sixty eight. I looked, I just looked it up okay. to find out, and she's writing this in sixty four, so it was like right at the end of it. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because there was like some kind of man throwing back to the film school days 12,000 years ago that I can't remember um but there there was like antitrust laws like towards the end like the beginning right. of the 50s because well, again like and I think that was so much of the studio thing too right was that certain people own certain things and then other people couldn't do certain things and like right. all that kind of wild wild stuff monster indeed mm-hmm. um well, yeah, and then even like it was kind of weird, like, how that one was... It was the self-respect, and Hollywood is a monster, and then morality. Yeah, that was a... It was a funny... It was a funny placement, I thought, too. Like, just... 
Especially because so many of the ones in this section are on something, like on keeping a notebook, on self-respect, on morality, on going home. And then there's just the one about the Hollywood monster in the middle. Yeah, which, like, that could have gone sort of more with, like, the John Wayne one. Or something. Yeah. I think it was really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. But then even the on morality one, like, it was like, okay, like, let's talk about morality. And then also we're talking about the Donner, Donner Party. And I was like, oh, we are going places. Right? That was a very interesting essay, too. Just, like, trying to grapple with morality and what it even is. Well, because it starts with, like, a couple had been, like, driving in the Death Valley or something. And there was, like, they came across a dead human. And the husband stayed so that, like, wildlife wouldn't get it. And she, like, trekked across Death Valley for, like, a day or however many hours or something like that Mm -hmm. to, like, go get police personnel and whatnot and it was the like that was the morality like the husband had to stay because you couldn't just leave them there right like the moral thing to do was not to just like leave this person there right and you're like okay weird. but then there's like a whole bunch of stuff about the like right versus wrong and like how the personal guilt fits into that and then like yes. what is morale is like oh. well because like she doesn't really have an answer like You know, she says at one point, you see, I want to be quite obstinate about insisting that we have no way of knowing beyond that fundamental loyalty to the social code, what is quote unquote right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. Yeah. And then she talks about like how frequently the word morality is thrown around um, in the press and on TV. And I was like, are we just doing this all over again? Does history (laughs) truly repeat itself? Yes. Yes, it does. Because we're in a very bizarrely puritanical moment right now. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's all people throwing around, like, morality as though it has any meaning. Well, I thought this essay was so, so <laughs> relevant that yeah. I just, like, she wrote it in 1965. I don't know. What? Well, that's, that's just, like, like that's everything that's going on for the last... Almost 60 years ago. is just like so wild and that's that's all like the biggest problem right now is that everyone's decided that like okay this is what i believe therefore it's right therefore it's the right thing to do and then someone else is like oh well i believe this then it's right so that's right and you're just like this is where all the problem is coming from because people think for some reason that like they get to define what you know is yeah. right and wrong and what morality is like literally yeah like this essay. it is it is all right only so long as we remember that all of the ad hoc committees all the picket lines all the brave signatures in the new york times all the tools of agit pro i don't know how to say that word straight across the spectrum do not confer upon anyone ipso facto virtue Damn. Yay. Jim Gideon coming in hot. <laughs> like, just truly fascinating. Yeah. The world, she does not change that much. And that's why, like, literally every through every single essay, I had to, like, stop at some point <laughs> and be like, this was in the 60s. Like, whether yeah. it be the fact that it's super relevant right now or the like, oh, something hasn't happened, like that's a weird reference, or like 
but so much of it, like percentage-wise, the ratio was, is that it was all so still relevant. Mm-hmm. And then especially in that essay. Yeah. And then the next one was on going home. Mm-hmm. And it was about her, like, visiting her parents at, like, their family home. And I was like, oof. This is literally yeah, that was a, literally yeah, that was a bit home. <laughs> yeah. As someone who lives far away from her parents and doesn't go home. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was just really interesting because, like, so her husband hadn't come. I'm assuming he was working or something, but, like, she was there for, like, their daughter's birthday. So, like, they were throwing a birthday party for her. But then it was just that, like, you know, it's weird when her husband does come because, like, her brother doesn't even really acknowledge her husband or like we'll just always be like yes. oh like joan's husband Jones even husband. though like he's standing right there instead of you know saying his name and stuff like that and then she was at like they had like a family cemetery and i guess a bunch of the headstones and stuff like that were destroyed and like she like went to tell like someone they were just like mm, okay what are you know like it was yeah it was just all of those random weird family interactions when you go home because yeah and the home way she gets thing. kind of the way she gets kind of like sucked into it to the point of almost being removed from the rest of the world yeah so interesting yeah it's a it's a really weird like i like the reason i know for me because obviously like i'm physically going further than you are Mm -hmm. and just because it happens less and i see all those people less like it's it is like it's a really weird yeah bubble that you go into that you just like you have conversations that normally you never would not to say that they're like good or bad conversations to speak in morality but more just you know like the things that you talk about or like the getting sucked in yeah because you're like oh well like i'm here so i guess i have to talk to this person so yeah okay sure fine well let's talk about that other mm-hmm. you know the, the family goss the hot goss uh or like whatever and it's like it's just it's just a weird thing so yeah this it one, is and this it's whole weird. essay was just like eh. it's weird <laughs> for me too because like for me i like going home to where i grew up is going home to burlington yeah but this feels more like going to Ottawa to me. Yeah. Which is not a place I have ever lived. Mm-hmm. But it is, in a weird way, like going home. Yeah. Yep. In this sense. Well, because even now, like where my parents live, they've lived there, good Lord, uh, since 1999. <laughs> um, so like we've lived there longer than anywhere else. I haven't. Um, I was only there for seven years. But, like, that was, like, I graduated high school and then we moved. But then I went to right. university. So, like, it's separate. So, like, going home home would be, like, where I grew up. But, like, we would only go there if we were, like, visiting some, like, family friends. Which, like, my parents spend a lot of, like, holidays with, like, certain family friends that are there. So, like, it's, like, these two separate homes. But then also there's, like, you know, the small town where, like, my mom's family lived and we lived for a bit. And some of them still do. So, like, that's, like, it's these all these weird little bubbles and then again you end up having like the different conversations and you get sucked with like all the different like mm-hmm. it's just so weird i know which is why i try to stay here <laughs> that's fair <laughs> well just in that way too like of her trying to like find her place in that because mm-hmm. she's like i don't know how what i'm trying to like I don't feel like she, I don't think saying like she's like a strong personality, but I feel like she's a very unique person in yeah, herself. I agree. So like even if 
she super did fit in with her family, like maybe she's still kind of on the outside or like maybe she's completely mm-hmm. different and like very the black, like it's, it just feels like no matter what, like she would kind of have that bubble feeling because she yeah. just seems like such a, I don't know, unique person on like to herself or something. No, I agree. I completely agree. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that one was just like really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and then we go from that right into, well, the next section, which is yeah. Seven Places of the Mind, which is already a fascinating title for yes. a section. Um, notes from a native daughter. And this is the one where she's talking about Sacramento, right? Yes. Yeah. Which, like, I just didn't realize California was so weird. Fair. <laughs> also, one of these pages is a different font. See, this is what I was talking about. In my book, there are three different pages. I actually think random. there's two that I've seen so far. It's at complete random that, yes, are a different font. <laughs> Weird. I wonder why that is. Yeah, I don't know. Um, when I first switched, like, flipped to this page, I first thought, I wondered if the title comes from James Baldwin. Oh, interesting. Because Notes of a Native Son was right. like 50, probably maybe like 55. And I feel like she would have been reading James Baldwin. I would think so. Um, I have that book. I have not read that book yet. Mm-hmm. So I don't. So in my mind, as I was reading this, and she kind of kept going on about Sacramento and, you know, California versus back east, like, like all of that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, I wonder like if that's kind of. Yeah. If the, the like structure of this kind of is like a adaptation, like a version yeah. of that. Um, oh, that would be interesting to know. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, like, I think that, too, it's like different, like, essay collections, so I don't really... Yeah. Not so many of I mean, it's kind of like about his dad being sick and dying, but yeah, I don't know just had thoughts about that um but yeah just then i was like when did i get so interested in sacramento (laughs) right well because like that's definitely like the area in general of like california that i'm the most interested in um like if i was gonna like go Mm -hmm. um because i feel like I, th- I think I always think that Sacramento is further away. Right. But it's really just in that, like, the Bay Area, San Francisco, San Jose, whatever. Like, it's just yeah a little bit up. Whereas in my head, it's like, you know, it would have been more on the coast, like, closer to um, Oregon or something like that. But it's not. It's part of all of that. Mm-hmm. Which was really interesting. Yeah. Did you have thoughts on that essay? Other than that, I realized I knew very little about Sacramento until I read it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, there's that page that's a different font. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. Is it your page 177? (laughs) That would be even weirder if it was a different page than mine. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. Okay. so funny uh well i think too just because like it kind of it, it was doing that like again like talking about the like versus new york and like when she would go back and like mm-hmm. visit and 
there really is just such a like east coast west coast i mean not like rap drama but just a vibe that then like you know you kind of like, oh the west coast or oh the east coast like but then she even says like the thing about like it is hard to find california now unsettling to wonder how much of it was merely imagined or improvised melancholy to realize how much of anyone's memory is no true memory at all but only the traces of someone else's memory stories handed down on the family network what well and i think it too and that's maybe just because like i grew up in a small town in the middle of the continent um and like all that kind of stuff because like that's just it like california has never seemed real to me that's right like it's it's the tv shows it's the yeah, movies. yeah, yeah. it's definitely the but then like then there's mountains and then there's trees but then it's desert and then there's the water and the coast and the like it's yeah it's just like she said like it's not real <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know what you mean yeah so good so good um well and then oh yeah so then then we end up with the the letter from paradise which is the the hawaii yeah, the essay hawaii that we talked about and then there's like a really short one about Alcatraz, about Alcatraz. which was amazing. Right. And like, cause even at that point, Alcatraz had closed mm-hmm. been closed for 20 years, I think. Um, and, but there were still like three people that live on the Island. Yes. Basically just for Bizarre, kids. Right? Like that's just where they live. Yeah. And then I felt like now I just have like, I just want to know more about Alcatraz and like, cause I think, like now is it not like a tourist spot like you can go to alcatraz but clearly at this point you could not right so like that's really interesting just like for the for something that we know but then like that specific snapshot in time where like it was not the prison but is not the tourist destination it was just this literal island where like they didn't even have water on the island they had to ship water to the island what no that part i was just like wait what i know and it was cheaper to just like kind of maintain it a little like the island itself a little bit but like let the structure just like fall to pieces instead of spending like millions of dollars to like take everything down it's just like mm-hmm. so crazy yeah very interesting i love how short some of these last ones are like yeah so brief some of them yeah well because in the next one the seacoast of despair is just like rich people in their summer homes in newport being yeah rich people really <laughs> that was just that's the gist and the point <laughs> right and, but I do like, cause she kind of said something about like how it's not actually about how they're spending money on these fancy houses. It's more about like where the money's coming from and the, mm-hmm. you know, the industry and the oil and the whatever. And like, yeah. Kind of seeing the like seedy back end of it. Like these rich guys have it so that then their wives can live there. And you're like, Oh, look. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then. Um, the next one there's just about her like driving to like Mexico and being in Mexico for a week. And it's so short; it's basically two pages. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, I had quotes. Wait. Oh, I, I actually loved this one. Just this short, short little jaunt to Mexico. Yeah. Because she says something about being in the desert, right? That was like. Yeah, the point is so it's because you can fly there, but her point she wanted to drive. Uh, the point is to become disoriented. She, shriven by the heat and the deceptive perspectives and the oppressive sense of carry-on the road shimmers the eyes want to close yeah and then just past that moment where the desert has become the only reality 
Route 15 hits the coastline. <laughs> and you're like, oh, but kind of whatever. Um, I was also just laughing because in this essay, the way she kind of like talks about directions and stuff, and in a couple of the other ones, do you know that SNL skit with like Wig and Armisen and Hater, and it's the Californians, and they're always just like, oh my God, sure. But they're like, the whole thing is just them talking about like, oh, like, you know, like I went to the mall, but then it's just them like giving the like long directions like oh i went down la brea and then i turned on whatever and then i turned <laughs> no, on... i haven't seen that one. Oh my god there's like i think there's like an entire compilation i'll send it to you but the way like because <laughs> it's it's so ridiculous because i watched one today because i was thinking about it that's hilarious and like wig and hater are kissing but wig's actually with armison and like armison comes home and she's like oh my god you're and they all have like you know cyber california accent <laughs> uh and like she's like oh my god you came out or like you're here early. And he's like, well, it's because I, you know, went down Hollywood Boulevard and turned here and went down this street and then to Mulholland. And like, <laughs> and so like, it's supposed to be this like so soap funny. opera thing. Like it's super soap right. opera styles, but just the way, like in a few of the essays that she goes on with like the, kind of the directions of that, I just kept thinking about that. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm not supposed to be laughing at this, <laughs> but it was just all I could like think about. And because so many of the, essays are about California then it was just this like weird yeah little like <laughs> Californian thing that was making me laugh California yeah California <laughs> that's the other podcast um, then we get to Los Angeles notebook which like this felt like on keeping a notebook like this was mm-hmm. the notebook yeah and again, just like super random little bits that are so amazing. And I feel like sometimes I just wish that I had this. Right? Of like writing down all those like weird little things that like happen during the day. Oh. But also I'm obsessed with this bit about the Santa Ana. Oh my God. Yes. Well, cause like, cause immediately it's just like, oh, like, you know, like there's a weird vibe. So we know the Santa Ana winds are coming. Yeah. And then how there's like, what was it? Like the phone, phone, phone in like Switzerland slash Austria yeah. to the point where like sometimes like they won't have classes at school because the like winds are coming and like the kids are unmanageable. Yes. Like... And in some Swiss cantons, the wind is considered a mitigating circumstance for, for crime. crime. Yes. And there are like, there's one in Israel as well. And I was just yeah. like, Oh my God, that's so weird. But like, absolutely. You know, like it's that like, Ooh, a storm's coming, you know, like <laughs> truly, truly wild. Well, and then just, like, how, like, the Santa Ana's, like, affect, like, the uh, forest fires. Mm-hmm. And then how all of a sudden there's just, like, the longest ever Santa Ana winds at that time anyway. I think she said it was, like, 1957, and they lasted. Because normally it's, like, three to four days. Yeah. But this was, like, 14 or something. And yeah. it was just, like, murder, 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 murder. Right? <laughs> like, everyone just had, like, the weird vibes. It was so good. <laughs> yep. So interesting. so so good and then oh yeah and then like there's also switches to a bit where like she wore a bikini to the grocery store oh and, yeah like some woman in a giant muumu was like judging her for being in a bikini but really like it was just like somewhere in california so like who cares and whatever right like, oh my god so funny uh, and then talking about the piano bars in oh, yeah. los angeles <laughs> yes Oh, yeah, the oral history of Los Angeles is written in piano bars. 
<laughs> yeah. Right? A construction man talks to an unemployed screenwriter who is celebrating alone. His 10th wedding anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one. Goodbye to all that. Which is about New York. And like. Oh, it's so good. Leaving New York, but like living in New York and being in love with New York. I'm obsessed with that essay. Yeah. This it was really. This one had a few, I think. It's like on the first. Oh, where did it go? Oh, wait. Um, well, yeah, like the. The first. Oh, my God. The first line is literally, it is easy to see the beginning of things, the beginnings of things, but harder to see the ends. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so simple, yet. I know. The accuracy. Right? So good. <laughs> well, just so, like she ended up, she moved there. She was going to stay there for six months and ended up staying for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, says me, who's now in, been in Toronto for 17 years. Uh, same. Um, never the plan to stay here. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how that happens. Oh, well. Um, and cause she talks about how, like, she just kept telling herself, oh, like just a few more months, just a few more months to the point where like, she didn't realize that she was actually living a life there. Yes. It's like, oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she ended up like, oh. Was it something about like cherishing the loneliness of just being able to like walk around? And I was like, oh my god. Yeah, and talking about how like New York is, unless you're from New York, like if you're <laughs> New York for people who come from away is also a city for the very young. Yes. Which was fascinating. <laughs> or like this, this whole part where she's talking about, I mean, everything about how she's talking about falling in love with it, right? Like, mm-hmm the way you love the first person who ever touches you and never love anyone quite that way again. Yeah. So good. But then also, um, she says, I could taste the peach and feel the soft air blowing from a subway grating on my legs. And I could smell lilac and garbage and expensive perfume. And I knew that it would cost something sooner or later because I did not belong there, did not come from there. But when you are 22 or 23, you figure that later you will have a high emotional balance and be able to pay whatever it costs. What? Joan! <laughs> You're trying to do me here! Well, that's just it, right? And then, like, at some point, it, like, started to fall apart, and she didn't mm. feel those things, and she she didn't want to go to Times Square. She didn't want to go to the public library. You know, she ended up hurting the people that she cared about. She cut herself off from everyone, like, all of these things. But then she got married, and they moved away. <laughs> yes, then they <laughs> moved to Los like, Angeles. Then that's where they live. Um, did she end up back in New York? Or is that just, like, made up in my brain? No, I think she does end up back in New York because I think she's living in New York um, when her daughter ends up in the hospital in the coma and her husband dies. I'm pretty sure they're in New York. Okay. Because in my head, like, because, and that's, that was one other thing, because, again, I mostly just have made up things about Joan Diddy in my brain, I guess. Like, this was so California, and I didn't realize that she was from there, and, like, that was what, because, like, in my head, she just has that like New York thing, you know, like I just, and the, Dun- like at the very least, like the Duns, I think are New York. Um, so like Griffin yeah. Dunn and what's his dad's Dominic Dunn. Um, like they're very New York. So I think maybe like probably that connection too. Um, but yeah, cause I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure her daughter ends up at Beth, Beth Israel Hospital and that's New York, right? Yeah. 
Not to say that there's not a, another one called that somewhere sure. else, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the one in New York. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, and like, and she died in New York. Like, she was... Um, yeah, so she definitely goes back. And, well, because then the play was on Broadway, so... Yeah. She would have been in New York at that time. Oh, yeah, in the 2000s, she was living on East 71st Street. Well, moral of this entire story is obviously I need to read more John Didion. Yes. Um, no, I'm just distracted reading about her husband and the dunce. Um, <laughs> Lindsay wrote movies together, too. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think maybe that's why that Hollywood essay ended up in the personal section. Probably, yeah. She worked in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and I was just trying to come see, like, an example of Griffin Dunn that you would have... Um, right, well, the thing was that, like, he was an actor as well. Okay. Um, but I feel like in my head, I have him as a director, but, like, I think it's more that he actually was just, like, an actor. But also then, like, in, like, a million things. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And because Wikipedia is being weird on my phone, I can't scroll and look at other things. Um, but yeah, so... Oh, would you recommend this book? Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I think... Again, not like every single person ever, but like most of the people that we know that would, you know, consider themselves to be readers or writers or... Yes. Even people like, not necessarily like, you know, that are interested in like pop culture, but that sort of like nonfiction news, Hollywood, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to describe the words that are in my head. But yeah. Yeah. So technically, this is where we would announce the next book club book. But we'll save that for a surprise. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> On Instagram. I forgot I had to make decisions, guys. Uh, but if you're listening to this, it will be announced on Instagram. It will be. It will be imminently. Uh, let's, so yes. let's, uh, Jen has uh, 30, 36 hours to go. That's going to happen. Um, as always head to anotherbookontheshelf.com. We got our blog there. I swear there's going to be more blogs shortly. I swear. Uh, another book podcast on Instagram. I swear there's going to be more posts there too. It's been uh, a winter, y'all. It's been a winter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> a weird one too, because yeah. like last week it was so warm. I saw, no joke, like 10 robins. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, it's spring. Cause I'm a fool. Um, well, that's just like, yeah, like that week before, like I was in New York, it was 17 degrees. Right. I was living that Joan Didion life of just like, everything in here is great and I can eat the peaches and smell the things. Oh, look, New York. Yeah. And then and now then, we're getting a snowstorm. Uh, yeah. No, it's like full on blizzarding out there right now. Good times. So we will be back in two weeks with a hangout I, episode. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. <laughs> um, so all of these things that we've talked about, we're going to 
break them down. We're going to get some tea. We're just going to... Yeah, we're going to chill. Talk about what's been going on. Talk about what's coming. Lots of good things planned and whatnot. So we'll see you then. Bye.